I'm Eric. And I'm Lauren. We've both volunteered for progressive political causes. And we're both nerds. Growing up, Shira was one of my favorite shows. I've never seen it before. Catching it on Netflix again recently, it struck me how modern the show still feels. Even though it's definitely a product of its time. We're interested in the ways She-Ra presents a modern progressive message. And the ways in which it fails. Join us each week as we dive deep into a different She-Ra story. Always with an eye on how it relates to the present. We're only doing episodes from the first season, so you can follow along on Netflix. But we'll also recap the episodes so you don't have to. We'd love to hear your feedback on everything we're discussing. So please, enjoy this political, nerdy dive into a heck of a cartoon. This This is is She-Ra, Progressive Progressive of Power. Welcome to Progressive of Power. I'm Eric. And I'm Lauren. Uh, how are you today, Lauren? I know I know it's been kind of a, a trying day. I have. I've had a trying day uh, in kind of Chicago style. I left my car unlocked and got some change stolen out of it. Uh, but nothing else was taken, so that's fine. I guess, I guess you know, I can learn a valuable lesson and be grateful that it wasn't worse. <laughs> I bet there's a looky moral somewhere about locking your car at night. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget. I, I hope uh, talking about a silly cartoon show from 22 years ago will make you feel better. So much it will, no doubt. So today we are covering two episodes that are basically one episode, uh, The Seahawk and Return of the Seahawk. So some background you know, it's really funny. All of the creative team on She-Ra, Princess of Power, refer to these episodes as the relationship episodes. And just because of all of He-Man and She-Ra, there's only really ever been one romance that has even been so in the forefront, like for our main character, that it, it deserves being called a romance. And that is the romance between Adora and Seahawk. So we're going to talk about that. But Seahawk essentially is uh, a pirate. And he's a pirate who uh, starts out working for the horde kind of he thinks that he's free but basically he like steals from poor little elves and gives stuff to hordak the first mate who is like named swen who is not at all a fan of the horde is like oh maybe you can convince our captain that he should start helping the rebels and this is pretty cool adora just flat out is like hey you suck why are you helping the bad guys and Seahawks like, well, because we're free, which I think is is interesting. He kind of makes the argument, hey, the horde pays me, and so I get to do what I want. I don't have to live in shackles like the rest of Etheria. Uh, but things kind of change. He starts to think like, hey, maybe Adora's right. Maybe I don't have that much freedom. So he comes to his senses and saves Adora, which then allows Adora to turn into She-Ra and save him, which I'm sure we'll talk about that as well. And that's the first part of the episode. And the second part, the return of Seahawk, isn't, it's not that interesting, except that it really f- focuses on their relationship. But essentially, Catra and Grizzlor want revenge. So they capture all these poor elves, put them on a prison ship, and then they say Adora and Seahawk have to come rescue them. But of course, She-Ra and Seahawk do. And kind of the big play of that episode is uh, it's an inversion of the Superman Clark Kent thing where adora a gender inversion right where adora is really worried that seahawk loves she-ra but not her but adora is the one who likes seahawk so that's kind of the world that we're getting into 
uh, these are the relationship episodes. And so I thought it would be cool to talk about this in relation to gender roles because there are some inversions in this episode, I think, and also some uh, very stereotypical moments. So with that all said, uh, Lauren, what's your take on on the Seahawk saga? So I, I think the vulnerability part of that was really special. And I enjoyed watching that scene because... It does address sort of the struggle of being a superhero and the the sacrifices you have to make and the inner conflict that it can cause. I think um, growing up, you see so many comic book characters and action heroes and you're like, man, superpowers are awesome. And I really love as just a, you know, science fiction and comic book fan seeing when those characters are allowed to face the issues that can come along with being a hero. And even though it's kind of the girly girl, like, what if I can't have a boyfriend stereotypical issue? I like it in the, just from that general place. Sometimes being a hero comes with struggle that you wouldn't have experienced if you hadn't taken on this duty. And I think that Shira also, you know, there is that pitfall of the a woman defining herself through her romantic relationships but i think shira the series pretty deftly avoids that because the token male that we love talking about Bo, is never ever presented as like some romantic partner like most of the time adora is just like a leader of these warriors and that's what she is and that's awesome and it's only this one guy who kind of makes her feel that way which i think is kind of cool that like it would have been easy to be like okay so Bo's the man and so Adora loves Bo. That's just how it is. But that's not ever a thing in this in this show. Yeah, I appreciate that they show a female lead that can have friendships with male characters. We so often, uh, as women, are portrayed in the media as girlfriends or potential girlfriends or former girlfriends. And, you know, to, to, to this day, there's this kind of cultural question all around us, like, can a man and a woman ever be friends? And... Yeah, thank you, show from 1986, for at least in a in a little way saying that they can. Yeah, I do regret a little that Bo was not in these episodes. I, I don't know that he ever meets Seahawk. Um, I could be wrong. I'm sure fans out there will send me angry tweets if I'm wrong. But uh, maybe partially that's because his voice and Seahawk's voice are so close. <laughs> they also, I mean, there's a, more than a slight resemblance between them, too. We got the kind of redhead mustache thing going on. Yes. Absolutely. Although I think we're supposed to see, you know, you used the term in our first episode that Bo is very extra. And I think Seahawk is supposed to be more like the Han Solo. Like he's, he's no, is like the shit, but he knows it, but he doesn't have to like put it in your face. Madam Raz, can we talk? Of course, dearie. Now, what is it you wanted to talk about? Um, Seahawk. Seahawk! That pirate rascal? Well, pirate or not, he risked his life to save me. I suspect in your heart that you'd rather fight for freedom than for profit. Well, I never cared much for those horde swabs anyway. All right, Shira. from now on, Seahawk is with the Rebellion. Oh, yes. What a story. So romantic. Romantic for Shira. Uh-huh! You think the Seahawk likes Shira more than he likes Adora. And I can't tell him they're both me. Then, perhaps Adora should tell him how Adora feels. I don't love why 
she feels so strongly about Seahawk. So when we did Seahawk and then Return of Seahawk, I was expecting there to be a, maybe a big time jump between the two episodes, or maybe we were supposed to get that some things happened between them off screen, which I really would have liked if we opened up Return of Seahawk and said, oh, we, we see, we work with Seahawk now, we go on many adventures with him, and now our relationship's more established and we're tuning back in. But when Adora is in the woods with Madame Raz, uh, kind of pouring her heart out, we literally see the flashback to the moment where Seahawk rescued Adora. And Adora's basing her feelings, it seems, just kind of primarily on that, which is a very 80s kids cartoon mishandling of women, I think. Like, oh, he saved me. Therefore, a relationship has to happen now. And I just wish there were more. I remember being a little girl playing on the playground or at other girls' houses some of the TV shows we used to love to watch. And I can remember specifically emulating the episode of Power Rangers where the Pink Ranger was trapped in a genie bottle. So some girl on the playground had to be trapped the whole time. Or we would play Aladdin and we'd say, Jasmine is captured. You have to be captured in the closet for a while. And that seemed so normal to me as a as a kid because kidnapping and rescue by a man plots were just so common in the late 80s and early 90s i had such high hopes for there to there there to be more substance here and in terms of why she falls for seahawk i wasn't frankly seeing it the fact that then after seahawk swoops in and saves adora then shira saves seahawk that doesn't really redeem anything for you it's not that it does or doesn't redeem it. Um, I don't think it redeems the fact that she kind of fell for him over this minimal exchange of of moments. Like, rescue should never result in this level of, of adoration. However, I do think Shira was owed that. So it's not that it redeems it or does this great, massive, like, gender role flip for me. It's that this is She-Ra's show. This is a show that's supposed to empower girls, and they damn well better have given her an opportunity to rescue him. And so it's not that I'm impressed. It's that I'm like, well, (laughs) you did meet the bar where I said it at least. So good good job-ish. I think you could make an argument, maybe not a great one, that, uh, and it's certainly not expressed in the text, but that's part of uh, Adora's attraction to Seahawk is because maybe she views him as kind of an equal, um, and there's no like weird chain of command issues. Like they're they're separate, you know. They fight 
for the same cause, but in separate ways. And they're both kind of leaders and they both have a lot of the same values uh, and they can have adventures together. I think all of that is probably true and also not really expressed in the show. Yeah, I think um, if I were more than what I am now, like if I were a big fan of this show and really wrapped up in watching it each week and getting into the lore, uh, especially back when it was first coming out, I think I'd write a lot of those stories in while watching it because that uh, that stuff is there to be found. They're both sort of the leaders of their respective merry men. You know, they're both sort of doing this Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves thing. Uh, and I think they could be compatible and it probably is a good match in the end, which is why I was a little bit disappointed that they didn't give them more of those moments to bring those truths up to the front. I don't like having to write it in for myself. Yeah, I I think even though, you know, these are touted as the relationship episodes, there's just not a lot here. And I think that fans have remembered these more kindly than they're actually presented because at their heart, like, especially Return of Seahawk, it's just an adventure story with, like, a little, little bit of emotion. And the Seahawk is more about, I think, about convincing someone who's war profiteering that, hey, maybe you're exploiting people than it is about, like, forming a relationship. To the point where, like, it it even comes a little bit out of nowhere that Shira has this attraction for Seahawk. It seems like it's not seeded at all. So that is weird. To your point about the relationship only being a portion of this episode and a big part of it is also actually encouraging another hero to rise up against the Horde. One of my favorite shows when I was very little, also an 80s cartoon, was Johnny Quest. Uh, and I did love the real adventures of Johnny Quest as well when that came out, but like original, standard grade Johnny Quest there weren't a lot of action shows made for me, made for girls. And so I kind of just let myself watch that one, even though it was clearly quote unquote for boys. And the moment when Katra's ship is seen for the first time and they're like, hmm, I don't see any weapons. That's unusual. And then there's this amazing like long sequence where just a ton of guns flip out of the ship and just every surface of this of this vessel turns into guns to the point where the last couple 
uh, especially the like rail gun that the robot is sitting behind. Like there was no more room for more guns on this ship and yet more guns. I thought it was awesome. <laughs> and uh, I love seeing that in a cartoon that is, you know, for girls. Girls can have those really over the top action sequences too. I think in episode one, you said seeing Wonder Woman brought you to discussing this show and thinking about this show again. And I thought of you when we literally throw She-Ra at a ship like she's just an explosive cannonball or something, because that's what Wonder Woman does in that bell tower in the in the modern, ver- the, the most recent film that came out, just using this woman as a projectile weapon. And I, when I saw Wonder Woman, because I hadn't seen She-Ra yet, I was like, what a powerhouse. I've never seen anything like that before. And I was just in awe that it had been done before a long time ago. Uh, I like that you mentioned Han Solo earlier in this episode as well. Um, my husband, Clayton, is a big uh, Han Solo fan and loves to talk about Han's hero's journey in A New Hope in that the thing that sets Han Solo apart and that turns him into a hero instead of just a profiteering scoundrel and puts him decidedly on the side of the rebellion instead of neutral is when he turns the Millennium Falcon around. He leaves with his money and there's the question out in the air, uh, is he not going to come back? And he does during that run on the, de- the run on the Death Star. Han turns the ship around and, and there he is at just a pivotal moment. And pretty much exactly just so, Seahawk also leaves with his money and then turns the ship around. It's not a coincidence. I, I think that's pretty derivative. I, I think so. And he has a laser sword. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, he does. <laughs> There's a lot to love in this episode. Um, as I mentioned in a previous episode, what I'm trying to do is um, have a have a kind of constant dialogue with myself about femininity. And there were things in this episode, like Adora had uh, an empathy-related superpower that was very like Deanna Troy. And also, what I, one note that I wrote down about her, when she's Adora... More than once in quick sequence, she is very forgiving. As she's being arrested and hauled off, she she says something like, perhaps he had no choice. And then a couple seconds later, I'm sure you did what you thought best, Seahawk. And there's something very touching and admirable about that part of her that, you know, she's a karate kicking superhero, but also has such a deep capacity to forgive because I don't think she's being sarcastic in those moments. No, I don't think so either. And uh, forgiveness is not a trait that I think I share. I think I'm a pretty judgy, uh, grudge-holding person. And as I try to imagine myself as a young girl who would be presented with Shira as a role model, I think that would have been a great thing for me growing up to have more instances in which forgiveness is not just like a feminine obligation to be ladylike, but is something that like badasses also do.
So I have some neat real-world background on uh, on Seahawk character. So Seahawk, as you may have deduced, was based on an Errol Flynn character. In fact, named after a 1940 Errol Flynn movie called The Seahawk. Now, I didn't know anything about this movie, and I'm sure fucking glad that I googled it before we recorded this, because here is some fun trivia about that movie. The Seahawk is about Sir Francis Drake, the Elizabethan English explorer, although in the movie... Uh, his name is changed to, like, Jeffrey something for no reason. But he's playing Sir Francis Drake. And there's a really great review in The Guardian from 2012, which lets us know that The Seahawk is a thinly-veiled anti-Nazi propaganda movie where the Spanish stand in as the bad guys and the Elizabethans only plunder the Spaniards in the name of freedom. In other words, Sir Francis Drake takes treasure from the King of Spain because the King of Spain is a despot and doesn't believe that all men should be free. That doesn't strictly relate to the themes of this episode of She-Ra, but boy, I thought that was really interesting how, you know, just talking about how, you know, the victor writes history and white people with cultural capital tend to dictate narratives. Because, boy, I don't really think that's true of the Elizabethan era of exploration. Pretty sure Queen Elizabeth wasn't sending ships out there because she was an egalitarian. Clearly, it's not a complete parallel to this episode, but someone in creating this episode read or knew that history. There's enough there that I believe that. Before we wrap that up, I do want to note that this show is still very funny. Uh, We didn't talk a lot about the comedy in this sort of recap, but they cut to Katra drinking just like from a saucer of milk at one point, and no one mentions it. It's just like part of the set dressing of the moment. That was tremendous. It's just the literal cat things. She's just getting down on a saucer of milk. (laughs) In a very otherwise serious, like, series of events. I love that. I love that this show still chooses to do that. Regarding comedy, I definitely want to talk about this before we move to the moral. The end of Return of the Seahawk. <laughs> if you take a walk with me, I could explain it to you. Like, where take a walk becomes this, this euphemism for, like... I, I mean, I know it's innocent, but it just sounds so dirty to me, especially when then Swen asked Madame Raz if she would like to take a walk. That whole thing was not only filthy, but then it even escalated to the broom. <laughs> yeah, where Broom was like, hey, what am I supposed to do? And Madame Raz says, find a mop. And Broom, like, goes, maybe I will. <laughs> <laughs> that That was so... Absurd, and that definitely made me laugh out loud. Adora. Hello. What are you doing here? Uh, I thought Shira would meet us. Sorry to disappoint you. Disappoint me? I'm not disappointed. I'm glad. Huh? Shira's fun to fight beside, but I'd much rather spend time with you. You, you would? If you'll take a walk with me, we can talk about it. I'd like that. Madam Raz. Oh, Flynn. I thought you might like to have a little stroll with me. I could tell you all about my adventures with the Seahawk. Oh, Flynn. Oh, dearie my. Well, uh, you bet I would. Oh, that is, I, I think I can spare a few moments. Uh, I mean, minutes. Hey, what about me? 
Well, why don't you just find yourself a nice, friendly moth? A moth? Hmm. Wonder if I could find one. I don't think the moral in this episode is as egregiously bad as it was in Duel of Devlin. I only want to talk about the second one, uh, because I think I think that's where the comedy gold lies for our purposes. Uh, in Return of the Seahawk, the moral is, In today's story, Adora and Seahawk liked each other, but they were afraid to admit it. Once they did, they became good friends. Everyone wants to be liked. If you like someone, tell them. And who knows, they may even say, I like you, right back. And then I... you can go on a walk. <laughs> right, it's like... I'm not sure if, like, again, it's it's supposed to be innocent, but good friends sounds so dirty. Well, sure. And given that the last moral we discussed was like, if you're being bullied, get on the horn and tell somebody. And this time it's, if you like someone, get on the horn and tell somebody. Right. Which, again, not great advice. Right. Every time I watch this show, like poor childhood bullied Lauren is like, no, because then that boy would just make fun of me forever. You're, you know, first through eighth grade. I, I had a kid I liked in kindergarten and I heard about it for years. <laughs> Don't do this to me, Shira. <laughs> You're throwing me under the bus over and over. I also want to point out that like, Sometimes confessions of well, Loki is clearly using like to mean something more. He means he like, wants to take like. a watch with a walk with these people. <laughs> so I think yeah, there's points where like confessions of your feelings can be used as like a weapon, and that's really not cool. And I think you need to be very cognizant of that. Like as a as a nerdy dude, like let me tell all the other nerdy dudes, you can't just go around like telling people, Hey, I like you, and then expect them to respond. That's not how it works, and that's not cool. I do want to say this, though. Uh, in the week that we're recording this, this app called Saraha has become all the rage. I hate it. I hate it, too. <laughs> and in trying to articulate my hatred, I find myself saying exactly what Lookie says in this moral. If you like someone, tell them. But not anonymously. Not anonymously. That's right. In, in a non-romantic setting, I want to come out fully on the side of, like, if you have something nice to say to somebody... Don't hold back. Just tell them. You don't need an app. Just tell them how you feel. It's going to mean a hundred times more. Yeah. Well, yes, obviously I agree with that. It's why I don't have a Sarah'a and never will because I try to cultivate open and honest relationships and I'm a very forward person, you may have noticed. And I just feel like if someone has something to say, particularly positive, the stakes are so low on that. If I've cultivated a good friendship with you, I want you to be able to say those things with your name on them to my face. And if you can't, what are we even doing here? Yeah. So in that respect, I want to come out on Lookie's side. If you like somebody, tell them. If you're trying to take a walk with them, maybe consider your approach a little more. <laughs> Thanks for listening to She-Ra Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We'd super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have either to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com, or as a comment on our podcast page at progressiveofpower.wordpress.com. An organization making great strides for gender equality is the Transgender Law Center. Their mission is to change law, policy, and attitudes so that all people can live safely, authentically, and free from discrimination regardless of their gender identity or expression. 
Their 2017 Plan for Resistance is an easy-to-understand list of ways TLC is adapting to succeed under our current administration. Visit transgenderlawcenter.org to get more information or donate.